This is Notoriously Episcopalian. My name is Kelly Hudlow. This is a podcast of sermons and musings all about the Christian faith and especially about being an Episcopalian. This is a sermon for the eighth Sunday after Pentecost for Trinity Commons online worship on July 26, 2020. The principal text for the sermon is Genesis chapter 29, verses 15 through 28, which is the story of Jacob and his marriage to Rachel and Leah. When I was a kid, each summer I would usually spend at least a few weeks staying with my various grandparents. My Perhaps favorite place to stay was with my grandfather on my father's side who lived outside of Atlanta. I had a first cousin that was near my age that lived nearby, and so he would often come and visit at the same time. My grandfather was really into family genealogy. One of his brothers and a cousin of some degree had worked to write the Hudlow's in America, a book of genealogy that tracked the family tree back to the original immigrants that came over in 1753. It is probably no surprise to many of you, but I was a rather nerdy kid, and so I really loved thumbing through the family genealogy and following down the line of nine generations of marriages and children to find my name there on the page. As I got older, I was a little less excited about the genealogy, a little bit more interested in the stories that my grandfather would tell about the people that he had met while um, writing the book, the interviews and the places that he had gone, but I would still thumb my way through my copy of the book. Each marriage, I came to realize, represented the complicated joining of generations of other families to become part of my family. There was no way to tell from the listings on each page if the marriages were happy or if they were based on love at first sight or if the siblings all got along or hated each other. It was just the listing of the names, places, dates of birth, death, marriage, and children, but each family circle connected to the next, bringing me into the reality of living and moving in this place. Our reading from Genesis today sets the stage for the next generation of God's people and gives us a bit of background information about how this marriage took place. Jacob in high-speed exiting from his brother Esau has finally made it to his mother's family. And there he meets and seems to immediately fall for the beautiful Rachel. He is so in love that the seven years he agrees to work in order to marry her just flies by. But when it's time for the marriage, Jacob, the trickster, becomes the tricked. While Jacob and his mother schemed to take Esau's birthright, Laban, Rachel and Leah's father, schemed to preserve Leah, the older sister's right to marry first. Now the reading doesn't explain how or why he didn't realize who he had married and that it was the wrong sister. 
Laban does offer Rachel to Jacob if he'll just wait a week so that the marriage to Leah is official and if he agrees to work another seven more years. Our reading stops there, but I think it's important to know what the rest of the story of these people are. Jacob favors Rachel. That's the woman who he fell in love with. God favors Leah. Leah would have six sons and a daughter. While Rachel was barren, she eventually gives her maid over to Jacob, who bears two sons. When Leah's time of having children comes to an end, she hands over her maid, and she has two more sons. Rachel would eventually bear two sons. Each sister suffers throughout the marriage. Leah laments that her husband doesn't love her, and Rachel laments that she cannot bear a child. But the scripture is silent on how the two maids feel about being handed over to become surrogate mothers. But from this complicated, blended family comes the 12 tribes of Israel. Through heartbreak and disappointment comes the descendants that were promised to Abraham. The story of the marriage of Jacob and Leah and Rachel and their family, which included two handmaidens that bore children, is complicated and I don't think offers up a clear exemplar for behavior for us today. No attention is given to how any of the women felt about the marriage arrangements. The sisters do take a more active role in competing for Jacob's attention and having children, but Bila and Zilpha, the maids, have no voice. So like so many stories that we read in Genesis, the question comes, what are we to make of this story? For most of my life, there has been plenty of talk of what biblical marriage is and what family values ought to be. I feel fairly confident that when people use these words, they are not actually meaning to say that a man can marry two sisters without their express consent and then proceed to father children with servants. Through the creative mind of Margaret Atwood, we have been given a glimpse of a world that is centered on this type of biblical marriage. In The Handmaid's Tale, women that are able to bear children are rounded up and sent to Rachel and Leah centers and then doled out to infertile couples to take on the roles of handmaids. Through fear and abuse, they are driven to silence. Atwood, in her book, shows us the danger that lies in isolating one of these family stories from scripture from the larger story of history. The story of Jacob and his complicated family, taken out of the context of God's promise and work of salvation, is easily twisted to support a story of human power and oppression. The story of Jacob is filled with people being dishonest in order to get what they want. Women are afforded very little self-determination. And to be honest, God doesn't make much of, appearance, much of an appearance in the, quote, love story of Jacob and Rachel or the ensuing marriages. God's power is acknowledged by the women when it comes to the naming of their children, and it is noted in the scripture that it is God who favors Leah with children, and it is God who ultimately remembers Rachel so that she is able to bear a child. 
even in the apparent absence of God in this story, Jacob and his complicated family are a foundational generation of God's people. The story of Jacob's family reminds us that when we look to our family stories, whether they are found in scripture or in our own family tree, the faithfulness that we should be looking for is the faithfulness of God. The value of the story, the lesson to be learned, requires us to see in this unusual telling a chapter of God's story. That even when humans aren't acknowledging or being mindful of the work of God in the world, God is still faithful. God continues to stand by the promise that had been made, even when the humans didn't necessarily live up to the calling of God. Amen.